Welcome to Our Soul, a podcast by Kelly Fox and Terry Williams from the Ohio Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. Welcome everyone to another episode of Our Soul. We're going to be talking today about protest and why protests, particularly protests for the lives of black and brown people in Ohio, are essential to reproductive health rights and justice, to reproductive freedom, and why they're an essential part of a life of faith. Um, We've seen tons of protests in the state of Ohio over the last year. Um, In particular, you know, protest has been part of our heritage in this state, but really it's been the last 12 to 15 months that have have characterized um, Ohio's blossoming into a a state of um, confessional action around issues and situations and incidents. related to black lives, related to uh, the carceral system, related to the treatment of prisoners who uh, we've seen, you know, sadly mistreated during the pandemic. Um, We have a lot of things on the protest agenda for many different groups in the state. And we come to this moment knowing that there are also forces in the state that want to curtail that protest. They want to stifle those voices and chill protests throughout the state, whether it be through uh, police violence or through legislative violence, legislative violence in the state house. Um, but really, it, it was kind of a, a remarkable um, decision that we heard on Friday. For those of you who were not aware, Friday we got Uh, news that there has been an injunction from a judge against the Columbus Police Department. In this wide-ranging injunction, it was reported, and I I always chuckle when I see Ohio news for the first time in national newspapers, right? Because sometimes, I'm I'm not going to lie, sometimes I am not as faithful to the Ohio news sources as I should be. I don't always, you know, first, uh, you know, in the morning check the Columbus Dispatch, right? So I'm paging through Washington Post and there's this article and it's mentioning Columbus Police and I'm thinking, oh Lord, what has happened now? And it was such good news to hear that this judge made it very clear that using things like um, tear gas, pepper spray, um, rubber bullets and dispersion devices against peaceful protesters in the city of Columbus has just run amok and that that behavior is unacceptable from police and that police are now enjoined from um, engaging in that behavior as a part of this injunction. I, I just rejoiced at that because we saw over the summer so many incidents where peaceful protesters were provoked, harassed, harmed um, in horrible ways. I'm, you know, and as, as a person who lives outside of Columbus, right, I, I live in Chillicothe, right? Um, I'm not right in the thick of it, but Kelly, you you participated in, in many of these protests and, and some of the protests that saw that kind of violence, right? Yeah, yeah. And it, it's kind of dumb that like this has to be done through an injunction. Like it should just be like you know, common 
common sense to not use things like tear gas and pepper spray and physical violence against people who are just trying to um, enact their First Amendment rights. Um, but I know for a long time during last summer, um, I lived relatively close to downtown and uh, I like was afraid to go downtown sometimes because like you don't you don't know like what part you don't know what the the attitudes of the police is going to be and whether or not when you're coming down to protest are they going to be like driving people out with pepper spray and then whatever um and having to be very careful about like what you wear and all of these precautions that I um, needed to learn just to be able to go downtown and um I mean luckily is not the right word but like um I I work downtown for um, my other job and because of the pandemic, I was not working in the office. And so I didn't have to go down there unprepared, but, uh, yeah, the, the intimidation and the ways that, um, my friends and, um, people around me have been affected by the violence of the police. Um, I don't know. It's just, you know, months later, I've had uh, one of my friends talking about how her period hasn't been the same since uh, she's been out protesting. And like these, these effects um, of like tear gas and using these things that should not be allowed, um, just continue, even into this year, even if like, even if they haven't been out recently, they're still feeling the effects of last summer. And um, I've been telling people this recently. I know we recorded our last podcast episode right before um, the murder of Micaiah Bryant. Um, but I've, I've been telling people that like the way that the things that I continue to hear about the police, the way the police here in Columbus continue to act. I mean, you talking about the, the news, hearing um, things about, Ohio and national news first, I feel like we're going to be the next like Minnesota, like the stuff that's been happening there and the change that's been happening there. Um, I feel like we're next, which is, it's just like weird to be a part of something that um, feels kind of historical, I suppose. Totally. And, you know, you, you mentioned the, the concern around, um, protesters having, you know, the effects of, of chemical dispersants. You know, I that was exactly where my mind went when I saw this injunction news on Friday that, you know, what this injunction is essentially saying is that it, there's a high likelihood that the use of those dispersants, the use of those, those chemical weapons on our streets um, from the Columbus police was against the law, was outside of, of lawful use. And we know that those chemical dispersants had effects on people's ability to lead normal reproductive lives. You know, the, there's a, a Teen Vogue article from, what, July of last year that really outlines, you know, the, the Columbus incidents um, and the experiences of, of many women having, uh, you know, lots of cramping, women and femmes reporting all kinds of problems, um, you know, whether it is uh, 
a period that's brought on too early or, you know, a period that is delayed a long period of time. There were individuals who, at these protests, because they are peaceful protests, they brought their children to the protests, right? Because you, like, I can remember as a child, um, you know, child of two union laborers, like, I was on picket lines on a regular basis as a child, you know. My my father's union went on, on strike about 30 years ago, and I can remember as, you know, seven, eight-year-old being out on the line with dad, you know, bringing dad donuts and, you know, cheering them on and, uh, you know, because that's what you do. So there were people who came to these events either uh, bringing their children or they came to these events pregnant or, you know, they came to these events and just assumed that they would not have their bodies damaged in such a way that it would negatively impact their, their reproductive health. And that was not the case. We saw children who, um, you know, had effects of uh, these chemical dispersants. We saw people who... Um, you know, reported even, uh, you know, fearing miscarriage uh, after this process. And certainly a lot of folk who had, you know, bleeding and other issues had to have their IUDs removed. I mean, all the stuff because the police decided to be the instigators of violence against peaceful protesters. Yeah. And um, one thing that I think of um, with especially with like being able to have kids there because, you know, there's an expectation of um, some level of safety. Um, I just think about like how a lot of the times, especially as someone who cares so much about self-care and community care, um, you know, protest does not have to be um, just like yelling and like being, being angry or whatever people think that protest is. Protest is you know, it can all be left up to the creativity of the organizer or the people who are there, but protests could be a really joyful experience and protests can be like dancing and stuff like that. And like to, to have the fear that if you want to plan something fun and invite people to come out and show them that like, we're like, we're emphasizing black joy rather than black pain, like to have that risk of being tear gassed is just it feels like a dystopian novel. <laughs> we live in a dystopian totally. novel. This is a dystopia. <laughs> and totally. I'm just glad that there's at least one step towards not having it. Though I do still, even though there's this injunction here, and um, I would hope that this doesn't happen, but um, I, I still fear that, like, regardless of what people say, there's going to be use of force and there's going to be um, stepping over those lines that have been drawn by the judge um, when people are out there protesting. Well, and, and one of the other big elements in this injunction, and I, I would be um, remiss if I did not mention it, um, is the conversation around body cameras. This judge was really clear that you as a police officer must make sure your body camera is working in these altercations because so often... Uh, police body camera footage just mysteriously goes missing or, oh, you know, we didn't have the batteries charged, you know, we forgot to turn it on or, I'm, you know, we turned it on, but it got caught under the edge of my vest and it got blocked. And, you know, all of these, what we know are, are just on their face, um, disingenuous, not good faith responses 
because police do not want to be, you know, videotaped or held accountable for the behavior that they engage in because they don't, so often in Columbus especially, they don't intend to follow the law. They intend to get as close as they can to what they want to do and justify that against the law later, you know, which is the whole reason that this injunction is here, right? And like, we just obviously don't have an expectation that they're going to do better with this injunction because they've not done better in their regular commitment to protect and serve, you know, big quotes around protect they literally, and serve. They literally waste the taxpayer money on flying around helicopters on joyrides through black neighborhoods, scaring people with their driving around or flying around in the middle of the night. Like signing the letters CPD because, you know, we have nothing better to do with $1,500 an hour, you know, positions. Oh my Lord. It's just ridiculous that we have to keep talking about this kind of thing um and i know like again like this is an injunction that is saying that they can't use uh tear gas and pepper spray and excessive use of force and uh rubber bullets regardless <laughs> like i it, it's hard to to think about this thing like this joyful uh they're being held somewhat accountable when also knowing that like it feels like the cpd is just roll a rogue and right. um right. like it, i mean there's also rules that you can't kill people but like you see how that works 100 <laughs> percent. you know Ar arnita rogers wrote this fantastic paper on police brutality. It's called How Police Brutality Harms Mothers, Linking Police Violence to the Reproductive Justice Movement. And it, it, it was published in like, I think 2015? It was, it was several years ago, right? And her outline in that process is just what you've mentioned. Like, there are so many costs in this process where police making bad decisions harms black folk. It harms mothers, it harms children, it harms reproductive futures, and particularly reproductive futures for black women and for black families and for black communities. And what we're seeing in Columbus right now is that manifestation, right? that the continued bad decision-making of Columbus police and the lack of accountability, frankly, that they have faced from the Columbus political establishment um, has created really bad health outcomes and really bad community outcomes. Like, the number of people who stood up after Micaiah Bryant was shot four times in the chest for defending herself with a knife... The number of people who stood up and tried to justify that, tried tried to justify a person literally bringing a gun to a knife fight, like I, you know, there, it's it's so ludicrous. There's a common joke about it, right? That he literally engaged in ridiculous behavior, murdered a child, a ward of the state. A, a, a child in foster care 
and then had people stand up and defend him, we really are living in a dystopia. We're living in, you know, the, the kind of world that Arnita Rogers talks about as, you know, beyond the pale. This is not sustainable. It is not the future that anybody intends for us. I'm a preacher, so I always want to say this isn't the future God intends for us. But, like, even, I don't even think the devil could have dreamed this up. Like, you know, if y'all believe in the devil, right, I don't even think, I, I think on their worst day, folk couldn't dream this up, that we are in a system that is so enamored with itself that it refuses to stop killing black bodies, right? That's a fundamental reproductive justice issue because you cannot have reproductive freedom unless you know that your children have a chance of living in this world and not dying because other people are refusing to dismantle racism and white supremacy. And and thinking about this as a dystopian novel, uh, I used to love reading dystopias, but now that I live in one, it's kind of hard to read um but one of the things about uh dystopias is like all the insidious ways that um the state like affects the daily lives of people and especially thinking about again going back to the tear gas and the um the chemical agents used against civilians who are like just uh you know trying to you know tell this you know we were talking about speaking truth um so one one thing I think about is just like not only does this affect um, women who are traditionally thought as the people who have periods, but also trans people, uh, trans people who have periods, trans people who are on hormones, and how that can affect their hormones, um, and just all the ways that using these agents, which are not even allowed to be used in war, um, affect citizens who are just trying to get the best for their communities and themselves and their like kids in some instances um it's just it's just a lot <laughs> and um i'm just i'm glad that it, i mean this should have never happened in the first place but at least there's some accountability there and there's some steps forward and thinking about this from a faith perspective um it just to to treat people in this way and thinking about um one of my theological groundings being um seeing the divine in everyone and therefore treating everyone with respect and dignity um that they deserve and believing that people deserve to be able to pursue a full life um with health and wellness and whatever form as long as it's not harming other people uh this directly um affects that and the, I'm I'm glad that they are um, putting this injunction on using these things that never should have been used in the first place. But when I think about like what are the needs of the community and things like that, like I'm just hoping that there's there like people are still being affected like this like by this. Like my friend, she said that she hasn't been able to have a normal period for six months because mm. of the stuff that happened last year, and it's like and or over six months now but like it's it's just crazy and that is not like tr using chemical agents shooting rubber bullets um using brutality and violence shooting people who are just trying to protect themselves none of that is actually recognizing the dignity and respect that people regardless i don't i don't care what people are doing um 
it, I feel like there are a reasonable amount of things that should be done before these chemical agents or brutality or shooting or whatever. Um, there are things that can be done first. And as a person of faith, um, I believe it is important to do those things first. Um, and that's why whenever oh. people try to justify um, the murder of Micaiah Bryant, uh, I say like, literally, I don't care what she was trying to do. If, if you, if you are trying to, um, you know, hold down somebody who has a knife and you have a bulletproof vest, you have XYZ protection, you have XYZ training, like you should be able to do that without shooting people. Totally. Totally. And, and, and I think for me, the most struggle that I have experienced in, in, you know, engaging the dialogue around protest in the state, the struggle of folk to reconcile how fundamentally disordered this outcome is from what their hopes are versus what can we do about it? Because so many people will sit and say, well, you know, this was a tragedy. Well, okay, so if you say it's a tragedy, then what are you going to do about it? Well, you know, what can you really do? Because it was a situation. As if there there are just a million one-off situations that somehow can't be helped and they're not at all connected systemically. Give me a break. Obviously, there's a systemic connection. And and even beyond that, what, what gets me ragefully angry is the fact that while we are sitting here debating whether or not a police officer should have the right to shoot four rounds into the chest of a 16-year-old, we are fundamentally missing the point. The point that was made so long ago so well by Dwight Eisenhower, right? Folk, folk will remember, not a liberal, mind you. Not a liberal, Dwight Eisenhower. Former general, ended up being president, and that famous quote from Dwight Eisenhower that says, every gun that is made, every warship launched, every rocket fired signifies in the final sense a theft from those who hunger and are not fed, those who are cold and are not clothed. This world in arms is not spending money alone. It is spending the sweat of its laborers, the genius of its scientists, the hopes of its children. This is not a way of life at all in any true sense. Under the cloud of threatening war, it is humanity hanging from a cross of iron. End quote. That's, that's, his, that's his statement. For me, as, as a person of faith, as a Christian... I fundamentally believe that it is sickness of a spiritual nature and an emotional and physical and societal nature that has allowed us to pretend that it's okay to keep spending money murdering people, harming people, causing this damage to real live flesh and blood people. Because not only are we doing the damage, we're forcing people to pay for their own oppression. Because you know what? Guarantee, guarantee people who loved Micaiah Bryant paid taxes that paid for the man who shot her in her chest. Guarantee that, you know, folk like uh, Andre Hill, folk like Casey Goodson Jr. paid taxes into the system that killed them. Right? We are funding the system that's doing harm to our families, 
that's doing harm to our reproductive future, that's doing harm to the future that should be human flourishing in Columbus, Ohio. And we have to hold accountability in that. We, we have got to call ourselves to account for how we're investing and showing up because that is a moral issue. Just think of all the other things that this could have gone to. And I, I, I mean, putting that on pause for just a slight second, a second. Um, one of the, the reasons that, again, I care a lot about self-care and community care, and I care about people being vulnerable and talking about like what emotions they're bringing into a conflict and things like that is because untreated trauma and untreated guilt and untreated pain and all of that lead to people who are leaders who let things like this happen. Right. And like, if you, if you, uh, at a younger age or even, um, just as long as you're trying to embrace your feelings and like learn from them. So you're not making feelings out of a place of pain that you felt like 10 years ago, uh, then maybe we won't have a system that's like this where people are being murdered and people are trying to justify that because they had pain that they wish somebody would have suffered for. And, um, you were talking about how these taxpayer payers are funding their own oppression. Well, I mean, yes. <laughs> and, and that money could have gone towards, you know, making sure that their kids had good education. So they have good jobs. So they are not struggling. And so that people can have better care, have better communities, even if they could just fill the potholes, that would be great too. And people wouldn't get their rims messed up and not have to be able to go to work and stuff like that. Um, I'm not bitter about the potholes, not at all. Um, but I just think that there's a lot of self-reflection that people need to be able to do with themselves before we put our opinions on blast on the internet, or even um, as if as people are in positions of power before making decisions like that um, about what you say, thinking about what emotions am I bringing to the situation and um, how, how am I bringing in stuff that has nothing to do with this um, and taking out my feelings on someone else. And I know we're running out of time. We're almost out. Um, and I uh, just want to mention real quick the, you know, the benefits that we could have potentially been having all this time, uh, thinking about, uh, you know, the, the programs that could be fun, um, funded instead of funding that $1,500 um, helicopter ride. And when we, when we talk about defunding the police, we really talk about like funding uh, reproductive justice, you know, making, making communities where kids can be safe, where kids can thrive, where families can thrive, where people don't have to worry about their hormones being messed up by the state, um, things like that. And so I'm happy that this injunction happened, um, but I think it's just the beginning towards uh, becoming a reproductive justice-centered um, society. Totally. And, you know, coming up here um, on Monday, on the 10th of May, we're going to be starting a week-long engagement process called Stir Up the House. It's with a coalition called Our Voices Together that Ohio RCRC participates in, along with a lot of other faith communities and faith organizing groups across the state. Our goal in this process is to stir up the Ohio House 
and have dialogue with our legislators directly, either through Zoom meetings or letters or phone calls or, you know, any way that you could reach out to your Ohio House member to tell them that you do not want uh, this increased crackdown on protesters voicing their First Amendment rights. You do not want the state legislature to chill free speech in the state of Ohio. You do not want Columbus trying to shut down and shut up the rest of the state. Yep. So we'll post um, lots of information for Stir Up the House, Stir Up the House from Our Voices Together Coalition. Yes. And um, that's all the time that we have. So I hope you um, have enjoyed listening to our podcast today and um, that you're able to find ways to be involved and uh, reach out to your legislators and advocate for the the better reproductive justice center and society that we could be having rather than the dystopian police state that we currently live in. So uh, we'll see you next week or not next week, two weeks. (laughs) 